0: This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free.
1: To NEC Dance with Kathy Leedy. In this podcast, Kathy chats with contemporary dance performer and choreographer Dana Ashby on the eve of the Ottawa presentation of her first creation, Unrelated, a dark duet inspired by the fate of indigenous women in Canada.
2: Dina Ashby, welcome. Thank I'm so glad you're here in Ottawa. Thank you. It's about time we've had a chance to present your work. It's fantastic. Yeah. Now you should share with uh, folks who are listening that you've just arrived from Greenland.
1: Yes. Uh, Literally
2: just got off a plane, pretty much.
1: Yes, only I wasn't directly coming from Greenland. I had to fly through Iceland and spend a night there and an entire day. And then I flew out. Uh, the evening.
2: Now, this wasn't a vacation. This was work. What were you up to, um, in Greenland?
1: I was working on a new creation. Um, I was invited to a festival called Nook Culture Fest, and it—they um, had all kinds of work there. They had dance, they had theater, they had film. Um, it was packed with amazing artists, but they—they they gave me an opportunity to create work in a studio and do a work in progress showing and they also gave me an opportunity to meet with the community and teach some workshops and um called them dance labs, like meetings.
2: Was it very different than the culture and life that you're used to now in your new adopted home of Montreal? Uh,
1: yes. Yeah? Yes.
2: The people or the scene or... I've never been there so I'm very curious.
1: Well I think I'm I'm traveling a lot now, so it was a bit of a a culture. It was a big difference for me coming from Marseille. And then I had to sleep a night in Copenhagen. And then I I arrived in Nook, and it's uh, very cold. The people there speak uh, Danish and Greenlandic as well as English. and um, but, but the thing that stood out the most for me was... Um, that the people were really, really sweet and welcoming, and I made a lot of friends in a short amount of time.
2: It's incredible. I mean, your trajectory has been fantastically successful. Uh, I'm going to backtrack from you know from Greenland to where you started because you're from British Columbia, and um, if I remember correctly, grew up dancing in Vancouver or found dance at some point while you were studying in Vancouver. Tell us a little bit about your background there.
1: Yeah, I was born in Nanaimo, British Columbia, and I grew up uh, grew up in Nanaimo, a little bit on Gabriola Island, which is close to Nanaimo as well. Beautiful spot. Yes. I, I didn't know anything besides just beauty and nature, so now that <laughs> I'm traveling more, I understand that that was a luxury. Um But I discovered dancing, actually, because I was a Michael Jackson fan. (laughs) And my dad bought me a Michael Jackson CD. I fell in love. Then I had to have all the videos and the DVDs. And then it became Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Britney Spears. Anything that was on much music, I was, like, following the dance steps. And
2: And you were standing in front of the TV imitating them as much as possible? Yeah,
1: Yeah. and taking opportunities to perform, like with my friends, like on a picnic table or on the side of a boat.
2: I I hope one day we'll dig up some video of that. I
1: hope so too, (laughs) because I don't know where they are. But um, I think my parents really noticed that I loved singing and dancing, and they wanted to support me in that. And um, it happened really late, but I had an opportunity to do a, a... learn-at-home program in Vancouver. Well, not in Vancouver, in Nanaimo, but it gave me the opportunity to move out when I was 16, and that was really ambitious, and I announced it to my mother. And uh, and I went forward and started doing drop-in dance classes at Harbour Dance Center and... Um, some, a number of
2: different places in Vancouver. I mean, art yeah. wasn't wasn't absent from your family. Your father was a visual artist, and yeah. um, there was some sense of an artistic world. So the leap to dance might have been a big one, but not necessarily the the arts field. I guess
1: no, not at all. Because I remember, like my dad, um, mainly was doing sculpture, but he was doing painting. He was doing um, work with glass. He did stained glass. He did painting, he did photography. So all the language around that was really familiar to me, and just watching him work until three in the morning in his studio and um, going to galleries and such was really familiar to me.
2: You have a mixed heritage background, too. He's he's Cree Métis, yeah. and your mother's Dutch. Yeah. Were you aware of that growing up? Did you have a very strong sense of that that indigeneity in you or that mix of cultures in you?
1: Yeah, but not to the extent that it's becoming more and more clear to me even now with mm. um, with traveling as well and, and asking more questions especially to my mother but um, it was very clear from growing up. Um, my dad was very um, very um, he was very interested in in teaching me about his culture and like making sure it was alive for us kids and not, uh, not hiding it or anything like that. It was important for him. And it was in a part of his artwork, too. He was mainly doing sculptures um, that were based on traditional stories, and then he also had a lot of contemporary sculptures, but they were still really based in his in his stories that he wanted to reveal, or transformation masks, for example, like he was doing. And with my mother, I'm only just learning little bits now because um, she grew up in Canada and she always, always was so proud. Like we had so many Dutch decorations and she loved, she loved talking about it, but um, I never learned to speak or anything. So, yeah.
2: So you're learning more about that in your conversations with her now.
1: Yeah, That's yeah. That's very
2: interesting. So you leave home at 16 now. I'm the mother of older teenagers. It's hard to hard but not impossible to imagine um mm-hmm. that that process for your parents and for you and I remember hearing of you as a young dancer in Vancouver. You were dancing with a number of people Kokoro and 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 other choreographers as well as a as a dancer, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Raven Spirit Dance. Mainly Raven Spirit mm-hmm. Dance and um Kokoro was very briefly right before I decided to stop dancing. Oh, okay, thing.
2: okay, that's um, probably when I when I intersected with you at that time. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. and um, I did uh, three years of training at Modus Operandi, which is in Vancouver, and mm-hmm. that was when I was um, I hadn't. Very little technique or anything. Is that um, David and Tiffany's school? Yeah. Right.
2: So, David and Tiffany have a company called Out Inner Space, but they have this fantastic school. Exactly. They're feeding so much into the Vancouver community. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Really, really impressive. Yeah,
1: Yeah. really, it is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But not every dancer becomes a choreographer. Like, it's not an obvious thing. I think sometimes dancers become choreographers because they don't have opportunities to dance, but Mm -hmm. something in you made you want to create. What, what, do you remember what that? moment was or what that trial was for you to go on the other side, if you will?
1: Yeah, I I remember always wanting to choreograph and for whatever reason, thinking that I had to be good at dancing first and not saying I wasn't good at dancing, but I am, um, I'm a perfectionist and I'm ambitious and, um, I, yeah, I really wanted to be a strong, strong dancer, but, um, I struggled with, um, what do you call it when you dance like exactly the same, like corpse work?
2: <laughs> core, core, core work.
1: Core work.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> core work. Or unison, I guess you could unison. call it in contemporary dance, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Everybody on the same beat at yeah, the same no. moment. Yeah.
1: I was the improviser. I was always having crazy images come to my head when I was dancing and all the imagery that that would be so wild and the improvisation that was so wild and just notebooks of ideas of wanting to create. Um and and I, I knew I wanted to do that, but it wasn't until I wasn't able to dance. I had a traumatic event when I was 21, and I fell into a long depression. And I was always a writer. I wrote poetry when I was young. Like, I loved writing poetry, mm. memorizing words and analyzing language. But... um when I went into that depression, it was like all of a sudden I was at home and I just had my notebook of ideas and I thought I would write a grant application. Um, so I was really able to still um, create. I had lots of creativities, but I wasn't able to dance. Like My body was frozen. Wow. Um, so I did. I, I submitted some grant applications. Most didn't come through, but two did, and that was to create Unrelated. And by that time, enough time had passed, it was 2013, I was living in Montreal, and I got the results that I was granted an amount of support to create my first piece. And at the same time, everything kind of fell into place. I arrived in Montreal, and a lot of the doubts that I had been hearing about the choices I was making in my life from other people, kind of just didn't exist. I uh, I learned to speak French very quickly. I got a job right away teaching yoga. I met a man from France. He taught me even more mm-hmm. French. <laughs> um, and then I had a residency at the May. Michael Toppings gave me uh, a mentorship at from my first technical residency, I knew nothing about lights. I knew nothing about That's fantastic.
2: That. Montréal Art Interculturel, right? Yeah. Fantastic presenting space in Montreal.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that everything just w- was saying, stay in Montreal, make your work. And shortly after the residency at the May or the mentorship program, it was actually... Um, I had a premiere, and so that was 2014. I was 24. I met you. That's right, <laughs> In the, the premiere. That night. That's yes. right, <laughs> and um, and it all kind of unraveled from there. I, I
2: or built up from there more yeah. more appropriately. So this this duet, unrelated, that we're getting an opportunity to present this week uh, in Ottawa during our face to face series. Um, I was uh, completely riveted by that work and have wanted to find an opportunity to bring it. It's been around for a while. You've done a lot of other work since then. But I was really struck by the fact that it was your first work. I mean, it was such a mature and um, intense and provoking piece. So it's interesting to hear that that was bubbling inside you for a very long time in Mm -hmm. some ways. Mm -hmm. And did you dance it at first ever? Yeah. You did. Uh, And what made you decide to give it then to, to other women to dance?
1: Uh, I dreamt that it was a duet. <laughs> so I woke up one morning going into a a studio residency in Montreal at Studio uh, 303, and I just woke up and I said, this is a duet. And then not only that, but then when I moved into the technical residency, that reaffirmed my choice to step out of the work because all of a sudden I just said, like, it's all clear to me now. Like, I want to organize the space in this way. I want to see things in this way. And and I always show with, like, a hand gesture, but me stepping out of the work, I was able then to... I'm just, like, gesturing my hands yeah, yeah, to yeah. say, like, to sculpt the space in a way. And it and it was so rewarding to me, like, uh, to realize, uh, this is what I like to do. I like to direct.
2: What did you want to convey in that piece, Unrelated?
1: Well, I... There's a lot of layers to begin. Um, Yeah, I wanted to put a lot of what was boiling inside of me out. um, Because I felt really helpless uh, being a young woman. um, You know, life is just beginning and all of a sudden you're hit with a lot of sadness and sad news. And I didn't come from an easy childhood either or uh i've had like experiences too that contributed to this to this work and also to say like when i was improvising in dance there was this violence inside of my body and this self-destructive um learned over generations probably um that that this 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 yeah the self-destruction that i was learning and trying to deal with, and this violence was coming out in the movement. And and to counter that violence that was coming out of my body, I was doing yoga and um, learning to heal my relationship with my body because I did have an eating disorder when I was an adolescent. So um, I wanted to do something with that violence. And at the same time, I felt very hopeless about what I was reading in the news and what I knew about the world, or was getting to know, as a young as a young woman, and wanting to help and wanting to heal and take care, and realizing that I was such a small part, and that I couldn't do anything. And um,
2: was it specifically in the news, um, the beginning parts of stories about missing and murdered Aboriginal women, and. Women on the streets, and the kinds of things that you were feeling and hearing maybe in Vancouver that yeah, are those were those specifically the headline? I mean, certainly they're still in the news today three, four years later. but but was that part of what was there as outside of your own experiences as well, when you say the news and what you were hearing? And
1: yeah, it's kind of like um you witness you witness things in real life. but every time you read about them again and Facebook had just come out and uh, you hear stories from friends and you read articles and every time it's like another layer on top that you're just like, oh, and I can't do anything. And I'm so angry or I want to make a change and I don't know where to start. So it felt like a a great way to to use that energy that I had and my personal experiences to do something that, for me, I thought it has to be it has to be important there has to be an impact there has to be something that i'm trying to relay and um
2: the work is very dark yeah it's very dark and yet it's very um it's got a lot of power to it that um i wouldn't say in my memory it's it's hopeful but it it's almost like once it's uncovered it is hopeful mm-hmm. because we're fa- we're forced to look at Look at some of that darkness. Mm -hmm. And that's not always easy in dance because there's very rarely text. There's very rarely context. You're just there with the raw emotion of the dancers in front of you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to create that. Overall, it was about a state and a feeling that that by the end of it, that we understood bodily, not... uh, not a text not an article because later you can go and find those but mm-hmm.
2: you talk a lot about about the language of your body when i've read about how you approach the work even since unrelated particularly the female body um the piece that came after was was ice melts right yeah. after when the yeah. ice melts we will we drink the water and then now uh, another solo that we've had a chance to see called poor yeah both solos for women you talk a lot about the the body and self image how does that feed into the choreographic work and the choices that you've made since the duet of Unrelated which had a very specific topic as each of these other solos um, that we've seen have a specific topic
1: mm-hmm. but I think so much of my process which, which really to be honest with you I can't separate my personal life from my artwork I can't so um, so much of my personal process is related to my my artistic process. And um, so much of the work that I needed to do was about being a woman and occupying space and living in my body and having a healthy relationship with myself and seeing how then I was able to have a healthy relationship with the world uh, outside of me. So um, I put all of that, I put all of it into my work and a lot of... Um, in When the Ice Melts Will We Drink the Water it's a short piece and I call it like an ins- installation in a, in a sense that it wasn't created in the same way that Unrelated or Poor was created um, and I simplify it um, to get a to get an idea across and for me the interpreter like represents or the piece the essence of the piece overall or whether that is the interpreter or if it's its own entity but that it Represents Mother Earth. And it's kind of like the rape of the world. Um, And then Poor, I based all the research off of my own menstrual cycle. And um, that was a more... For me, that's more of a a piece. A piece that there was a... As opposed
2: to an installation, you mean? Yeah,
1: there was a long period of research. It was very... uh, It's a million notes becoming this hour-long piece. Mm -hmm. And... um, Yeah, it talks about the different states of, of, for me, the hormonal states that I go through every month. And that was really scary when I was young. Uh, I didn't understand when it was always coming and to live those kinds of awful feelings. And, yeah, navigating the world (laughs) when you're hormonal. Um, uh, But also the states of the cycle. And the idea of this, like, stagnant energy that we block in our bodies because we don't feel free to bleed every month. So we really, like, in, in the choreography and the movement in the body, we're, we work with stagnant energy, we work with spilling energy, and that's, like, the trance and the screaming. And and then we work with everything that's in between, which for me is, like, the pouring. It's, like, the careful pouring. It's, it's either, like flooding out like a waterfall, it's blocked, it's stuck, it's silent, it's stagnant, or it's carefully being poured. And we dealt with all those states mm. and uh, in the cycle. And it's, yeah, I'm really uh, excited about pour. I'm
2: curious because, really? you know, you come on the scene with such incredible strength and many presenters in many different countries and different festivals have been curious about your work and invited your work with these three pieces, and I know you're working on many new projects, I've had the great privilege of hearing about some of those and what's to come as well, but the three projects that have been out there, the the duet and these two, sort of installation and then the solo, do you find that as you travel, the responses from audiences are different depending on places you're in or the like are men responding differently than women are you know I'm I'm really curious about that I mean being a a contemporary uh, artist with indigenous background is there something that an indigenous audience might respond to that others won't I mean you must be confronted with so many different kind of responses it's not all let's say, a Montreal scene where people know you and have grown, grown with you over these last three or four years, that must be exciting and scary at the same time to plop down in a number of different places and not really know and have to deal with that. What's yeah. happened been like?
1: Yeah, it is, it is certainly different everywhere. And I think it's really difficult also for the interpreters um, because they're receiving that feedback very much while they're performing. Um, and I'm... And I'm experiencing it from the audience with the audience. And so I find it fascinating at the same time to watch the different reactions and the different levels of tension because the work isn't always easy and there is a level of tension that has purposely been manifested in the room for each performance. Um, I'm trying to stay away from... um, Trying, like, because at first I started to try and be okay. So in Germany, it happened like this, and then I would go to a different city in Germany, and it happened completely differently. And then, and and yeah, there is always this fear. But now I'm just in this accepting of it's it's very complex, and everyone's reaction is different. And um, now for for the fourth piece that I'm presenting soon, um, which is another installation. It's not a a longer piece but i'm putting a trigger warning in the in the in the program because i did have some people who who the the darkness of the work brought them places that they weren't Tell us prepared
2: for. Tell us about this work then.
1: The the new one. The new one, yeah.
2: Why, what would make you put a trigger warning in that piece?
1: Um i feel like it's a really uh it's literally violent and it's it's packed in there, and unrelated also has some literal violence, but Serpentine um, really goes there. Aurelie Moran, who's the interpreter, she really goes far, and um, it's uh, how do I say it's 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 condensed. It's I allowed myself to be dramatic when I created this, and. Um, a lot of the work that I was doing in the previous pieces was to not rely on music or lighting and and the power of the silence as then for to give power to add the body and the language of the body to speak without text, without music because um, I felt it was too easy. But this time I really put a layer of dramatic music um, and we just took all the energy. And aureli has been with me from the beginning of the process of unrelated. She knows a lot about my personal life, as well as bringing her own personal life into the into this piece, which is um, unique for this one. Um, and I think I just wanted to put it all in there and 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 give space for it to. To be this dramatic, violent thing, if it needs to be, and that's how it came out. What did exploring of
2: us. thematically though? And this is Aurélie Morin. Morin.
1: I don't know if that's how you say it. Uh-huh. A bit of a French accent. <laughs> but um, this is Aurélie. She's from Mexico. Okay, that's uh, true. We
2: would we would read it with our Montreal anglophone heads yeah. <laughs> hats, hats on. That's true. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but I I don't know. I've never heard her say her last name. <laughs> oh,
2: that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So. Um, w- what I was originally working with, with uh, when I was starting to make this, was I was contemplating um, because in unrelated, the women are vulnerable, or the the idea of the nudity was vulnerability, and the idea with poor then was empowerment, and so I went into Serpentine really with this idea of okay, if we're asking these people, and the level the level of um, attentiveness that most of the audience members have during these performances is quite strong and high and mm-hmm. I thought, you know, to ask people to give her body an hour or longer in the case of Serpentine because it's a repetitive loop um, to give it that attention is to give it power and if what she needs to uh, speak about and, and, and is this kind of cathart- cathartic um, performance of violence then that's what we're doing and we're, we're letting it go instead of keeping it inside our bodies and we're letting the body speak and it's it's choreographed but it's not I mean it's not it's not in the same way of unrelated or poor there's, there's a structure but I say that there's freedom for her real personality and body to come out and express itself and that's what I wanted to do was just give the room for that All of
2: these works um, are interpreted by females Mm -hmm. and of course you're a female choreographer (laughs) and there's a lot of discussion going on in the world about, you know, female choreographers and what their place is compared to maybe a larger quantity of male choreographers. I'm curious as to whether working with men is of interest to you and whether that's something that, you know, you want to explore or maybe it's not. I don't know.
1: Mm -hmm. I actually just challenged myself to work with a male interpreter with a very similar intimate approach and I knew it was going to be complex and complicated for me and therefore I tried not to add too much of an idea on the piece before I actually got involved making it. So while I was in Nook, Greenland, I was working with uh, an interpreter from Belgium. His name is Peter Ampe.
2: Peter Ampe, who we've had here at the very first Face to Face five years ago. (laughs) Wow. With his piece, Still Standing You. Yes. It's wonderful with um, Guillermo...
1: Gig-Girma, yes, gigermol.
2: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. he in- bought his uh, Canada goose uh, coat, which I'm sure came in handy when he was in Greenland. Yeah, he bought that when he was in Ottawa. I have a
1: picture of him next to an iceberg with that do I'm sure on. you
2: do. I tease him about it every time I see him. Anyway, it's
1: part of me. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, we just finished working together, and yeah, I must admit, it's very complex. I'm still processing our week of time together. I still have dreams and images of working with women. So there's something there. And um, yeah, and I'm kind of in the middle of dialoguing it with a few different people who saw the work in progress in Greenland. So I'm not ready to uh, say exactly what is going on, but there was the interest for me because I knew it would be a challenge. And so I'm challenging myself. I'm working with him and, um, it's, uh, there's a lot of information and, um, I'm just, yeah, sorting through it right now.
2: Processing it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: You've got this other really interesting um, connection in your work right now because you're associated with different spaces. You have uh, a residency. You're the associate artist at La Gorrède de la Danse in Montreal for the next several years, a residency with uh, Centre de Création Vertigo, uh, Jeanette Lorens company that is uh, transformed into a residency space, Uh, You were one of three choreographers, uh, along with uh, Justine Chambers and Vanessa Goodman, to be chosen as the first three young choreographers for the Yolanda Ferris Choreographers Program at The Dancer. These are all really interesting and, I guess, individually very different opportunities for a choreographer, artist, to be associated with a house of dance, a place where work can happen. What is that like? Because we, you know, we, I don't think a lot of people understand the sort of sense of how a dancer makes their work. You know, we have this old fashioned sense of they go to class and they have a studio and they make work. But in fact, in this day and age, each of those relationships is very different. Can you talk a bit about what those are for you?
1: Yeah. Um, Agora de la Danse is very much uh, an artistic residency. So that's where I'm going to be creating uh, the new work that I'm creating, whether it's in a technical residency or in their studios. And um, and they're behind me. They're supporting me um, in, in many ways, um, in many ways that I need. But, but mainly, that's what that is. It's an artistic residency.
2: Including presenting you with yeah. the Prix Découverte de la Danse yes. at the Prix de la Danse de Montréal for Unrelated, La Corée de la Danse and Tangente. Yeah. Bravo, that was fantastic. Thank you. One of two uh, awards you received <laughs> yeah. last year, which was great. <laughs> the other being, I'll just uh, make sure we cover that, Le Prix du Calque for Best Choreography of 2015-2016 for, mm-hmm. for the Ice Melts, which is fantastic. So yeah. I digress, but uh, very special relationship with a presenter-producer. That's great. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Francine's been, been really behind me and not just with studio space, but all the little things mm-hmm. when you, and you too, you know, when we have our, our coffee meetings and just feeling like you have someone to be in touch with. Um, so that's that. Um, Centre Création au Vertigo is new and that's an associate artist. So um, this is incredible because for the first time being uh, it's it's all coming together in a sense that for the first time I'm I'm realizing that I don't have to do everything. <laughs> um,
2: like mean everything administrative.
1: Yeah, oh, but great. but not even just administrative because they're offering me a tour direction even though they're not on tour with me. But um, I mean I have somebody else telling the dancers when to be at the studio so that I can be here with you. Right? <laughs> you know like. Um, I was getting uh, too used to multitasking and storing sets under my bed, and um, yeah, just transporting things all by myself and not being able to go to the to the uh, how do you say like the cocktail after my own show because I'm busy <laughs>
2: packing up the set. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So
1: that was that was life like two years ago actually, and now uh, it's gracefully transformed itself to. Um, I'm actually starting to feel the effects of the transformation uh, that I'm actually just brainstorming on my airplane. I'm not actually doing budgets and um, trying to organize emails. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's what they're offering me at uh, CCOV, and it's really special because I can just feel myself being healthier and stronger. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. And then the last one is kind of... it's. It's funny when you mention the three of them, I realize how they work nicely in a nice little triangle. Because with the Yolanda Ferris Choreographers program, we're actually being invited to opportunities where we can network with the presenters and um, and uh, yeah, meet people. And that's just a, another piece of the work to to share it and to to share it with people and have conversations and build relationships. And that's what we've been doing. We traveled. To Ottawa, <laughs> yeah. that was the yeah. We were in Ottawa for the Canada Dance Festival. We were in Italy for um, B Motion Festival in Bassano del Grappa. We're gonna do networking in the Netherlands in the March, and um, yeah, so that's another that's unique brilliant
2: opportunities. Yeah, yeah, and always sort of contributing to. The current and future um, work that you're developing. Yeah. So You have been everywhere, and I and I know I need to let you go soon, but of course in Canada and um, Mexico, Europe, now Greenland. I'm just curious, um, you said something about your new work. What on, you know, the, this day in October 2017 is we're about to see your work and not, it'll be the first, but certainly not the last time we have Dana Ashby back to the National Arts Centre. What's coming up next for you?
1: Um, after... This performance of Unrelated here, um, I'm presenting Serpentine in Montreal.
2: I can't wait. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and then after Serpentine, I leave with Poor to go to Helsinki, oh. Finland. And then I'm back with the Yolanda Ferris program in Vancouver. And then there's Parcours Dance with Poor. And then I'm back in Creation with Peter Ampe uh, in December. So
2: fantastic. Now, you've exhausted me, and that's only between now and December, yes. although I am going to be at some of those events where you yeah. are as well, which is great. Yeah. I wanted to finish by I read this beautiful um, Your statement about your work is, is very beautiful and very thoughtful, and I just um, can't say enough what a powerful and smart. Woman, you are even in your young years, and I look forward to many, many, many more decades of creativity out of from you. But I thought I thought this was a beautiful thing, and I just wanted you to say one last thing about it before uh, before we end this particular talk. You say my work is deliberately dark, vulnerable, and often sensual. My hope is to destroy frameworks that have warped my body and self-image as a way to repair and prepare for a new beginning. Now, I don't know if you wrote that recently or a while ago, but this idea of repairing and preparing for a new beginning. As -hmm. we come to the end of this discussion, I would just love to hear a bit about how that resonates for you.
1: Yeah, I think um, that idea that is really strong for me is based in the idea of transformation and i think that actually comes a lot from my dad's work of the transformation masks as a little girl i always thought they were so ugly and they represented so much pain and the stories that he would tell along with them were actually about the possibility to transform and heal and i always have that image when i'm creating the work because i can't deny that the darkness the darkness is within me Um. And it's coming out in my artwork. But what I can prove, actually, I wrote that when I was 21 or 22. Wow. I'm 27 now. And through making my four works, my life has drastically changed. And maybe part of it's just getting older and, and uh, learning. But definitely I can see that now I can live in the darkness through my artwork. And I can really live in the light in my life. So <laughs> It's
2: very beautiful. Yeah. There's, there's the sense of repair and prepare.
1: Exactly, yeah.
2: Very beautiful. Dana Ashby, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you. I really appreciated
2: it. And we'll yeah. talk again soon,
1: I'm sure. Yes, thank you so much. Okay. That's all for this NEC Dance Podcast. Send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at necpodcasts.ca. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.
0: This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store, where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at NACPodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.